Welcome to the City on a Hill Church Brighton podcast. We exist to help people love, trust, and follow Jesus in everyday life. We're glad you're here, and thanks for listening. More information on the life and mission of City on a Hill Church can be found at coabrighton.org. That's C-O-A-H-Brighton.org. Well, good morning, and happy Thanksgiving to you. Um, trust you guys had a good uh, holiday. If you didn't um, and you want to talk about that, you feel free to reach out to me or your CG leader this week. I know holidays can sometimes be a tough time for some of us if you're maybe not from Boston and you live away from home. But I know that a lot of uh, folks from our church opened up their homes and you got to spend time with family uh, or friends that feel like family. Uh, I got one more announcement for you guys before we hop into today's text. Um, uh, God calls all of us because of Christ to be generous individually. And uh, also God calls the church to be generous. And so um, what we're doing for the month of December is called Care Campaign. So what we're going to do is all of the general tithes and offerings that you guys bring in, we're going to give away 10% of that to a local partner called the Foster Box. Um, you guys might have heard the Foster Box. A part of our church's uh, emphasis is foster care and adoption. And the Foster Box is an incredible organization. A lot of their values and mission line up with ours. Uh, all their people on their board are Christians. And I love what they do. They have multiple storage unit sites across the greater Boston area. And inside the foster box, you can go and you can get car seats and clothes and uh, certain type of formulas. And you can get uh, any sort of di- diapers and any items. If you get, if you're a foster family or you're supporting a foster family, uh, you might not know like when you get your placement. Uh, you might get a phone call and you have 10 minutes to decide whether you're going to bring that child into your home for years. And so how do you prepare for something like that? Well, the foster box has been a really, really big component of helping families be ready for that moment. Uh, Our family, when we first brought Kiana into our home, uh, really utilized a ton of the foster box stuff. We got like, I think it was her first car seat, her first clothes, because she didn't come really with a lot of things to our family. And the foster box did a ton uh, for for us uh, personally, even. So what we're going to do this month is we're going to take whatever general tithes and offerings that come in, and we're going to give 10% of that away. If you're a member of our church, you know that annually we give 10%, if not more, I think this year's like 12%. We give 12% away uh, to other organizations or uh, church plants or international uh, missionaries. But the month of December, we're giving an additional 10% from just this month. And so if you're uh, a regular and you call Coa Brighton Home, we want to dig deep this month uh, to maybe give an additional one-time gift uh, financially and what that looks like. So be praying about what that looks like. We'll be announcing that over the course of this month and talking about that and giving some more story about the foster box. But just know they're phenomenal for us personally. I know some other people from our network have used them. Uh, we interviewed them to make sure that the money's going to the right place, doing the right things. And so all that checks out and we're excited to give to the foster box uh, this month. Okay, no more announcements. Let's jump into the text, okay? Um, what I love about this uh, series this, uh, that we're in with Genesis is that we're really seeing what we talked about, our story in light of God's story. And we've seen God in Genesis 1 and 2 create this really beautiful world and everything worked perfectly and everyone was in harmony and then we wrecked it, like humanity wrecked it. And then we see through the generations and people have kids and who have kids who have kids and sin is just ruining families and ruining relationships. And then it comes to this, moment we saw last week that the world was filled with two things, violence and corruption. 
And it wasn't just like a few people were making bad decisions. It was like everything they were doing was violence and corruption. It was individual corruption, personal corruption. It was like political corruption, institutional corruption. It was just everything. And it was constant. And so God gave through Noah 75 years of patience with these people, calling them to turn from their sin and turn to God. And like no one listened. And so finally God brought justice. And so if you guys like TV series, I don't know if you guys are watching something right now, like, you know, like I think uh, Andrew or Mandalorian or whatever you're watching, typically what happens uh, if you're watching a TV series, it's like previously on whatever, when you're watching a new episode, like previously on Mandalorian, and then it kind of like gives you a snapshot. That's kind of what we're entering into today. Today, so we're doing sort of like a, a four-week series just on Noah. And week one was last week, and then this week is our second week of Noah. So um, we're going to pick up on chapter seven. But we, I left you kind of with like a cliffhanger last week. I was like, there's corruption, there's a flood coming, and they got in the boat, and I'm like, come back for next week. That's where we are. So it's like previously on Noah and the Ark, and then here we are, Noah and the Ark, part two, today in Genesis 7. Uh, so if you have your Bible, we're going to be jumping around a few different spots, as Hope mentioned, and we're going to start in verse 11. So if you found there, uh, it'll be on the screens for you as well. So here we are. Here's where we start, verse 11. It says, in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the deep burst forth. Okay, so water was coming like up from the ground. And I was sharing with you guys last week that uh, eight years ago, there was a discovery that under deep under the earth's crust was enough water that actually could fill all of the earth's oceans which is wild. This is not like Christian scientists saying that, but there is some sort of giant water mass deep beneath the earth's crust. And if that's the case, it would make sense that could God allow some sort of movement in tectonic plates in the earth to have shoot up from the ground? Absolutely. We have some proof of that. So come up from the ground, but it says that the windows of heaven were opened. Rain's coming up, rain's coming down. And the rain fell upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. So guys, just an opening uh, note here for you guys. Um, have you noticed how often Moses, who is the author retelling this story, how often he's hyper-focused on tracking the dates and the times? Have you guys noticed that? Like this happened in the third month and this happened in the second month. And do you guys notice that it keeps happening over and over? And the question is, why is he so focused on tracking the days and the times. Like, why is that so important for this story? Could you not just leave that out? Well, one reason I think is to show us the readers how to interpret this flood narrative. So by giving us the exact time and day of this flood, he wants us to understand that this story is actually real and it's an actual historical event that happened in human history. It's not to be seen as a parable or a fable or some sort of metaphor. When the author gives the time period, he's wanting you to actually track it like a real historical event. The author wants us to be clear and have it on clear record what actually happened. So he puts a date on it so people could backtrack and see this recorded event and then track some real evidence with it. So guys, anytime you see specific details like this in other Hebrew text, the author is wanting you to understand that the details that he's communicating are fact. They're not fiction, not fable. This actually really 
happened, which is why last week, guys, we covered some evidences of a widespread flood in ancient times. So if you missed last week, I would encourage you to like go back and watch some of that. It's not like a perfect apologetic evidence of why there's a flood, but we did talk about is the flood local? Is it regional? Is it global? And I gave you some evidences of maybe how to process through that question. But either way, regardless, the author is wanting you to know that the flood really genuinely historically happened. Guys, it's just like when we think about the dates 4th of July or 9-11, those are like historical monuments in our minds, those dates. That's what it would have been like for the people during the day, the 600th year of Noah's life in the second month on the 17th day, the rain happened. That would be monumental like that. And the author is trying to help us see that this is real. This is not fable. It's not metaphor. This really happened and you can track the dates. So verse 19 Then the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heavens were covered. We talked about last week that does this mean that there was a global flood so much so that the text says that 15 cubits above the mountains, here's the mountains here, 15 cubits above it is where the water went. So was it global? Was it regional? Was it local? I'm not sure, but there was a ton of rain so much that it covered over the tops of mountains. Verse 21. So naturally, if it's covering the highest point on earth, verse 21, all flesh died that moved on the earth. The birds, the livestock, the bees, the beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on earth and all mankind. This is super sobering and hard for us. Verse 22, everything on the land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. That's his wife, his three sons, and their three wives. And the waters prevailed on the earth for 150 days. Guys, last week we talked about that God is bringing justice on the earth for their continual violence and corruption. And after God warned them and wanted them to stop for like over 75 years, he finally sentences his justice on them through the flood. Yet he forgave and rescued literally anyone who would turn to trust in him by faith and enter the ark. So now if you missed last week, you're all caught up. And now we're entering in the second episode of Noah and the the flood. Okay, here's what we're going to talk about this week and next week. We're talking about this concept of covenant. So if you're taking notes, that's the big idea is what is a covenant? Because we're learning this week and next week that God set up a covenant relationship with Noah, his family, and all of creation. And guys, the big distinction between covenant and contract is really important. Because we don't use that language covenant a lot. You might hear it maybe in church membership or you might hear it at a wedding ceremony, but you don't hear that language often. So what's the difference between a contract and a covenant? In a contract, we know that it's just two people putting out their terms. So if you, you know, have a phone and you pay a phone bill, uh, then there's some sort of contract. This is the service I get if I pay this money. But in a contract, we know that if one party doesn't hold up their end, then what happens? The contract is null and void, it's erased, or there's a penalty in the contract. But a covenant is different. In a covenant, there is one party that's initiating relationship with promises and benefit. And the other person is to live out according to how the relationship works. But even if this party doesn't do what they promised to do, God will never leave. God will never null and void the contract. And that's what's important between covenant 
and contract is that God has given his promises of relationship and love and benefit to a people no matter what they do. So when we are faithless, God is faithful. And that's what we're going to see, that God is giving Noah a covenant. And so today we're just going to look at two elements, two elements of what the covenant means for Noah, what it means for us. Here's the first thing I want you to see. The covenant means that you are never forgotten. You are never forgotten. Now, guys, if we're going to walk through this text today, we need to be a little bit more um, uh, imaginary in our minds, like imaginative about how we think about this narrative. Because if you think about it, Noah's on the ark for a long time. We're going to get to how long in a moment. But like, what did he do on the ark? And you're stuck there with your family. Like you think like a seven, 10 day vacation's hard? Guys, a year long with your family on an ark with animals and poop everywhere from these animals. It's like gross, it smells bad. So we gotta be a little imaginative. What did they do? They, they play cards? Did they invent like the first sort of like Netflix? Did they like, how did they navigate this whole flood scenario? And we'll get to that in a moment. But the big idea we're gonna unpack is covenant means never forgotten. Verse one, chapter eight. The flood's happening, 40 days, 40 nights. Noah's sitting there. And then verse one says, but God, and then here's a key word, God remembered Noah. God remembered Noah. And again, remember the scene. There's floodwaters that destroyed everything in Noah's life. Like, could you just imagine that for a moment? Like life as you know it is like done, just over. Like the job you had before, the coworkers you hung out with, like whatever sports team maybe you were back in the day, like the favorite place that Noah liked to shop or eat at with his wife, like just gone. Everything and everyone he knew, life is just over. Dude sitting on an ark and he's like, is this it? Like, what do I even, what do I even do? But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. Now listen, that word remembered can be interesting, right? God remembered Noah. Like, did God forget Noah? And he's like, oh, snap, I left that dude on the ark. I was sorry I was busy in this galaxy and I was doing this thing. Like, is that what happened that he forgot Noah? Well, of course he didn't forget Noah. It's just like sometimes in my house, Emily's like, hey, you gotta, you know, put the toilet seat down. I forgot, you know, whatever, whatever the case may be for you, right? Uh, you might've forgot, of, oh, I forgot to pick up groceries. Or I forgot to get this for my kid. Or I forgot to do this project at work. Is that what it's meaning? That God forgot Noah? No, of course not. Every time in the Bible you see the word God remembered, it means that God was coming to fulfill a promise. That makes sense? Doesn't mean that God intellectually forgot, like the knowledge left. When it says God remembered, it means that he's moving towards completing a promise that he gave. In fact, one Old Testament scholar notes that God remembering always implies his movement towards the object of his memory. That's what it means God remembered. It's like my wedding ring on my hand. Now, I don't wear this wedding ring because I forget that I'm married. <laughs> it's not like, like, I'll just, you know, go on a date today. Oh, oh, oh wait, I'm, I'm married. I, I can't go on a date. Like, that's not why I wear this wedding ring. I wear this wedding ring as a reminder of my promise that I made in April of 2013 to love and to pursue and to cherish and protect my bride, Emily. So this is not because I forget, it's to help me remind myself of the promises I've made and to move towards my wife, to serve her, to sacrifice for her, to love her above myself. That's what it means that God remembered Noah. He remembered his promise and he's moving to fulfill the promise of new life and 
new earth and restoration. God is moving towards that. And like that, like the ring, like that analogy, God is remembering his promise to Noah, his promise to give relationship, to give rescue, to give refuge. And now as God is coming to cash in on that promise, so how does it do that? Verse 1b, we saw that God remembered. And then it says, so God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. Now don't read that, but doesn't that wording seem a bit familiar to you? that a wind blew over the earth. Like it's almost the same wording that you see in Genesis 1, right? God created the heavens and the earth and the spirit was hovering over the face of the waters. In fact, that word for wind in today's passage is the same Hebrew word for spirit, ruach, that we see in Genesis 1. I think there's a parallel here. It's like we're learning from Moses that God is recreating creation, He's sort of duplicating what we saw in Genesis 1. We're seeing it again in this passage. He's giving a fresh start, a new beginning. The fresh start, in fact, that if you're a Christian, which many of you are in the room, if not everyone today on a smaller Sunday for us, it's the fresh start. We're reminded of that, that the Holy Spirit gives us when you trusted in Jesus to be the Savior of your sins and your Lord of your life. We're reminded of this fresh start that the Spirit did in Genesis 1. And that now the wind is blowing the waters away. Guys, again and again, we see every week that every scripture is pointing us to Jesus. This new beginning, this new wind. And if you're a Christian, you became new in Christ when the spirit brought you to life, when you placed your faith in him. You're seeing it. Every passage is continually pointing to the same theme. So verse 13 and 14. Then finally, in the second month, which was the 601st year of Noah's life, and the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. And so in verse 15, then God said to Noah, hey, Noah, go out of the ark. Go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out every living thing that is with you and all fresh flesh. Bring the birds and the animals, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. What's that? It's another nod, right? To Genesis 1, be fruitful and multiply. We see that God is recreating his creation, starting fresh, starting new. And that's what the spirit does. Guys, if you're a Christian, that is what the spirit did with you. You became a new creation, new in him. You're forgiven. There's a fresh start. And every day, God's mercies are with you, new every morning. Your sins are on the cross. You're made right with God. You're forgiven. His mercies are new with you every morning. There's a fresh start when the spirit is at work, which he is in all of us. So what happens, verse 18 and 19 tell us that Noah and his family and all the animals went out from the ark. Let's unpack this idea that God in his covenant with us never forgets us. Because you know what I also wonder? Uh, That there's another reason that Noah kept such a detailed account of the days and the months and the years. I think he was tracking God's faithfulness. I think that's what he was doing also in his heart. And a way that he could personally see the progress of what God was doing was keeping a journal, keeping a log. And so I I think that Noah was in this boat for guys a really, really, really long time. And so he was wondering, God, are you going to fulfill your promise? And how are you going to do that? And so I think he began to sort of journal along each day and time. And so scholars tell us in ancient Mesopotamian cultures that they used a lunar calendar, sort of tracking how the moon would move through the sky. 
And so that gives us this calendaring of like every month would have around like 30 days. And so if you take the dates given in this narrative, uh, scholars suggest that Noah and his family were on the ark for a total of like 371 days. That sounds miserable. I love my family. I love my wife. I love my two kids. But just to leave us on a boat for over a year? we might all not make it off that boat. You know what I'm saying? Like, that'd be really tough for our family. That's a really, really long time to be stuck with your family and smelly animals and poop. It's terrible. Guys, at the hundredth day, what would you be like? How would you feel after the hundredth day? Because all you knew from God is that it's going to rain 40 days and 40 nights. You don't know what's happening next. That's all you knew from God. It's going to rain 40 days and 40 nights. You're like, okay, great, 40 days. That's like a month and a little bit. I can do that. Anyone can hang in there for like 40 days. But after the hundredth day, what are you thinking? Are you thinking like, God, where, where, where are you? Are you still there? Like, when's this going to end? You look out at the ark and you see water everywhere. Everything's gone. Everything you loved, everything you liked, gone. Your world is wrecked. Day 200 rolls around. And the same thing, you're like, God, I thought this was just a 40-day situation. Like, are you with me? God, I'm still like, hey, I'm still stuck on this boat. Like, when are you going to fix the situation that you have me in? Day 300 rolls around. It's almost been a year. You're like, when is this going to end? And then the one-year mark hits, and still nothing. You're still stuck. You're waiting. You're not going anywhere. Guys, maybe you feel in that similar spot, like right now. Like you just feel kind of stuck, like you have some sort of promise in your heart that you feel like God would give you or he would care for you in a certain way and it hasn't happened. And you're just sitting there like waiting and you might be thinking, God, why have you left me here? Right now you maybe feel forgotten. You feel neglected. You feel overlooked. You feel like no one quite understands you. And you're like, God, will I always feel this lonely? Will I always be this depressed? Will I always have this anxiety? You might be thinking, God, where, like, where are you in this medical diagnosis or this medical complication? Like, have you left me to deal with this all on my own? You might be thinking, hey, why am I still single? Like, God, I've prayed for a spouse. I've, I've served you. Like, why won't you answer me? It might be like, God, where are you in my struggling marriage like right now? Like, we look happy on the surface, but like, where are you? Where are you with my struggling kids? My challenges that I go through every day. Like, guys, we've all been here at some point, right? Like I went through a couple examples, but like we've all been in this moment of like waiting and heartache, right? And if you're really honest, guys, you might be in that same spot like right, right, right now. Like in this week maybe brought up some of that stuff to you. Guys, some of you know Emily and I's story with infertility. My wife and I have been married for 10 years and we're not able to have biological kids. Went to multiple doctors and lots of tests and treatments and all that kind of stuff. And we're just not able to biologically have children together. So it was years of struggling and years of waiting and questions and no answers. And we just kind of felt this way. Like, where are you, God? You know, you tell me in the Bible, be fruitful and multiply. And it's a blessing that children are. And you want to raise them up like arrows and you shoot them out to flourish in the world. Like the scriptures all talk about that. But God, it seems like we just can't do that. You give these promises in the scripture. You tell me these things, but I just can't. And at moments, Emily and I still feel that way. I think some people can just sneeze and get pregnant. In our family, it's like, we got to move mountains for that to even happen. It's impossible, you know? Like, like uh, my wife's sister, like the spouses just look at each other and she's like, oh, I'm pregnant. And you're like, well, that's just what it is, you know? But for us, we felt alone and unseen and uncared for. And 
you might feel the same way, just like in the spot of waiting. But I want to remind you today that verse one, but God remembered Noah and God remembers you. You have not been forgotten. And maybe that's why Noah was keeping a journal with the dates and the times to help him remember God's faithfulness. And so he would record it in the midst of the storm and in the waiting, he would record every time something began to change towards God's promise. Like as I imagine him looking out of the ark and recording, okay, it's the, it's the 17th day of the second month and God did this. He began to stop the rain. And then the 10th month, I see that the water is beginning to move away and the wind's blowing on the earth. And then the next month, okay, I see that the ground is getting more dry. And then God takes a raven, or sorry, Noah takes a raven and he sends it out. And then the raven comes back and then he sends a dove and the dove comes back, but he comes back with a little piece of olive tree. And he's like, okay, maybe I'll send him out again. And he's logging all of this. He's watching a progression happen. He's keeping this log of God's faithfulness. In church, if I can tell you, if you take anything away from today, if there's one practice that I would want you to do is to journal your life like this. I want you to journal out, maybe record your struggles and your disappointments, your anger, your hurt, and sort of write those out as prayers to God. You don't gotta be like fancy. It doesn't have to be perfect, just faithful bullet points. I want you to keep a log of like prayers for you, for your family, for this church, for your future, for friends and neighbors you want to know Jesus. Keep a log of that. And then put a date and a time next to every entry. And I want you to watch, just like Noah, over the course of time, you will watch how God answers those prayers. It'll be in big ways, it'll be in small ways, and it might be in some ways that you didn't want it to have happen, but it was better that God answered that way. Guys, I'm not trying to boast or brag, but this is one practice that was so helpful to me that I learned when I was an early Christian, when I was in my 20s. Someone told me about journaling and I just started putting some bullet points down. And now every week, and I don't have like embarrassing stuff on you guys, but I have all of your names down and I'm praying for certain things for your family or for your heart or for your life or something that you've shared that you're going through. And no one can see that. It's just my personal notes. Someone's going to hack into my computer. I'm not that important. You know, it's like I have a password on my computer, but I'm praying for things for you, okay? But I've got this Microsoft OneNote, if you guys have Microsoft Office, and I just pull up tabs and I'm praying for different things. Praying for things for my family, things for the future, things for my kids, things for this church, for friends and neighbors that I want come to know Christ and struggles. And I'm keeping a log. And when I, my favorite thing, I wouldn't show this to you because it's so personal, but my favorite thing is when I get to go on there and do that strikeout, you know what I'm saying? That strikeout thing. If you're like to-do list people or the check boxes, you can do that too. But I strike it through and I put a date next to it. And guys, I would love to show you some time, my prayer journal and just looking through it, how many things I can strike through Oh yeah, God answered that one. That neighbor came to faith in Christ. Oh yes, God answered that prayer. When we were praying for kids, God did bring Kiana. God did bring Shisera. Oh man, we were praying about our church when we were going through a pandemic. I'm like, I don't think our church is gonna make it. We're out in Newton, which is like, you know, I don't know, Nairobi as close as, you know, it felt to Brighton. It's like, are we even gonna make it through this? And over and over again, I can see God answer multiple types of prayers and I can watch and track God's faithfulness. And I think that's what Noah was doing. And guys, journaling can help increase your joy because you're watching what God does over the years. Guys, I went back when I was preparing the sermon and I was reading some of my, my really initial journal entries from like college time. And it's like, I'm like, hey bro, your, your life wasn't that hard like 
that's what I want to tell myself with poor little Aaron. Like, bro, you're fine. Like that exam, like you're going to get through it, buddy. Like you're, you're just fine. But reading through all of those things and watching what God had done over the years is really, really cool. I remember I, it, I have one journal entry. I was like, God, I'm sensing that I might be called to be a pastor one day. I don't want to do that. It sounds terrifying. But I, I see right here in Ephesians chapter four that there's certain people that are called to the work of ministry, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And God, I love your people. And I, I want more people to know. So can I, can I equip and shepherd and pastor and pray and serve those people so that they can go and reach more people? I feel called to, I have a journal entry when I'm in college and I have these journal entries about this girl named Emily. I'm like, God, would you give me discernment whether I should marry her? I've got a journal entry like, God, I, I feel, feel like we're called to foster and adopt. Would you help navigate that? Just pages after pages. And what I love about, when I think that God, you've forgotten me, you don't love me, you don't see me, you don't care about me, you've left me here. I can look back, I'm like, that's just not true. I've got your record on my life on file and look at all the things that you've done for me. Some of you have websites or blogs or vlogs and some of you guys track, you guys are, um, I think some of you, I'm not gonna embarrass him. I don't know if he's in here at the moment, we'll be using restroom, but some of you like wake up at 5 a.m. and you keep like a little log of what you're gonna do that day, whatever it is. If there's just one practice that you can sort of pull out from Noah, is this log, tracking God's faithfulness. And notice that when did he start tracking these dates? Probably in the moment, right? Because he knew that this would be difficult for him to get through. But what did he just go through before the flood? 75 years of people calling him crazy as he's building this ark, right? I don't know what he did before he was an ark builder or did he have to work bivocationally, build this ark and then also have another job? But everyone's thinking he's crazy. I'm sure he lost some friends. Maybe he got fired at his job for building some ark. It took a lot of time. I don't know how many bumps and bruises and days where he was just getting mocked. And he's like, is this really gonna happen? 75 years. And then it gets worse is that God's like, go into the ark, a flood's coming. And then you can read the story. He sits there for seven days on the ark with no rain. Can you imagine that moment? Spent 75 years, this is my life's work. There's nothing happening. Day two, there's nothing happening. Day three, there's nothing happening. Your kid's like, hey dad, is this water gonna happen? I don't know, day four, day five, day six, day seven, it finally comes. And Noah has learned to trust God in the midst of heartache and hurt and gap. So when Noah hops in the ark and the flood comes, oh, I'm journaling this. I'm gonna track God's faithfulness. And then what did he do? After he gets off the ark, what's his first thing that he did when he gets off the ark? What's the very first thing? He builds an altar to God, brings his family around and he worships. How do you get there? How does that happen? When I go back from family vacation, I don't worship God. I might worship God because I got out of the ark, you know, like got back from family vacation. But like he was so excited, not just that he was off the ark, but he was tracking God's faithfulness and that's why he worshiped. Guys, if I can just beat this more and more into your hearts, do you have some way that you're tracking God's faithfulness in your life? So often we are so discouraged as Christians thinking that God forgot us. He doesn't love us. He doesn't care about us. He's abandoned us. He won't come through in our marriage or kids or parenting or that job. And we just think that he doesn't care. But if we have some way to track, and guys, I think that's one small principle we can learn from this, that God has not forgotten you. God remembered Noah. He remembers you. But do you remember? Do you remember how God's been faithful to you? Do you remember what you've prayed for and how God's come through? Maybe he hasn't come through yet, but waiting. Would you keep trusting like Noah on the ark and track every step towards God fulfilling his promise? I think this is a huge practice. Maybe I'm just a really discouraged person that gets discouraged often, but this is like 
if I was sitting here and I heard this, I'm like, this is the greatest thing on the planet, which is really not, but you know, like, it'd be the greatest thing on the planet because my heart needs to see God at work. So if there's the biggest thing I could tell you with this part is that Noah did not waste his waiting. Are you? Are you wasting the waiting period? Are you tracking how you feel, how you think, where you're struggling? Are you wasting the waiting? Because what's so beautiful about this is that Noah during his wait builds this account that for generations, God followers could read this and watch God's faithfulness. Do you realize that the pain you're experiencing in your wait and your struggle is probably, that pain is probably a setup to be a platform for you to minister to others, to care for others, to have a significant way of ministering to other people. And if you can track how that feels and how you think, then you can be compassionate to others when they feel the same things, when they're going through heartache. Whatever you've been through, don't waste the waiting. Don't waste the pain. Don't waste the ark. Don't waste any of it. Track it, log it, pray through it and watch God work through it and then share that account with anyone and everyone. So listen, maybe you're in a season this morning like, like Noah. You feel like you're on some just sort of floating through the world, forgotten and neglected and overlooked, but God has not forgotten you. In fact, he's probably doing something for you in the midst of that waiting like he did for Noah. Noah waited, was working. Noah was waiting. God was working to prepare a new world for Noah. And God is often doing the same thing for you in your waiting. He's working to prepare a way for you to walk in. So church, we got to trust him. Trust him while you're waiting. God is working on your behalf. Guys, I'm reminded of this principle literally like every Christmas with my two girls. Guys, every Christmas season, everyone that we've had with them, I will use my girls' rest time during the day and Emily and I will go to our room and we will wrap their Christmas presents. And every year it happens. It'll happen literally this week. And every year, inevitably, because our girls are awake, we don't wait till the nighttime because Emily and I are like, we're not doing stuff for the kids at nighttime. We're gonna hang out. We're gonna watch movies. We're gonna eat. We're gonna spend time together. I ain't thinking about those kids. You can judge me, but that's my life. So during the day, we put them in their room and then we're like, we're gonna wrap Christmas presents. And every time they holler out from their room, if I'm taking too long, daddy, have you forgotten about us? And I call back to them. We have a little monitor system. And I'm like, no, sweet girls. How could I forget about you when I'm preparing gifts for you? That's what God is saying. I've not forgotten about you. If you don't see me moving or doing something, I'm probably preparing something for you. I've not forgotten about you. How could I forget about you when I'm preparing something for you? If you're in the season of waiting and hurt, if you're like, oh, why am I single? Why am I not married? Why have this job? Why is my life like this? I'm struggling with depression. Why, God, where are you? And you're wondering, God, have you forgotten about us? No, he's not forgetting about you. He's probably preparing something for you. He's probably using that struggle for your sanctification. Probably doing something in that for you. God's saying the same thing. I've not forgotten you. Just as God remembered Noah and moved towards the fulfillment of his promises, God is doing that for each of you. Every promise in scripture that God is giving, he's fulfilled in Christ and he's moving for you to experience that in this life and the next. There's one cheesy saying that my mom taught me as a kid and I loved it. And I'm gonna share it with you today. And then we can all just sort of have that Christian sigh at the very end, but it's good. It's good. It's also on the back of the toilet, which is a really weird spot to put a quote, but this is where I learned it. And it says, if you can't trace God's hand, trust God's heart. Ah, right, like, but I think that's key. If you can't trace God's hand in your life, you trust God's heart, that he's good, 
He's sovereign, he's in control, and he's for you. And just like Noah, he's having a hard time tracing. And notice that he's not logging every day, but he's, tra- he's waiting to see when's the water stopping? Okay, it stopped. Okay, 150 days is happening. Okay, I can see some water decreasing now. Okay, I sent a bird out. That didn't, uh, didn't work out so well. I sent that bird out. He brought back some shrubbery. So maybe there's water showing. He's tracking all of it. Guys, I want your hearts to do the very same thing. God's covenant means you are never forgotten. Last one, number two. God's covenant means that you are always forgiven. Not just that you're never forgotten, but that you're always forgiven. Now look at verse 20 again. And I want you to see the first thing that Noah did after he stepped off the ark. The very first thing, verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. And he took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on that altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart three things. Number one, I will never again curse the ground because of man. Yes, their intentions of man's heart is evil from his youth, but I'll never curse it. Number two, neither will I strike down every living creature as I have done. Number three, while the earth remains, I'm gonna let seed time and harvest remain, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, nothing shall cease. Guys, listen, some of us really struggle with guilt and shame cycles. And sometimes you get in a really big downward spiral because of your guilt and shame. Like what happens is that you sin and then you feel guilt and then you feel shame. Uh, Guilt is I've done wrong. Shame is I am wrong. I as a person, just bad and wrong. Guilt, I've done wrong. I need to repent. Shame is just I'm wrong and it's all about me and I don't know how to fix this. I'm a terrible person and we just spiral. So if you sin, you feel guilt, you feel shame. Shame leads you to more sin because you're trying to escape that cycle and then you start the cycle back again. Sin, guilt, shame, sin, guilt, shame. But God in this passage is actually pointing us to the cross in this passage. It's if God is saying to us that I have built another altar to deal with your sin and your guilt and your shame. I have smelled the aroma of the cross on your behalf. And the clean animals and the clean birds are pointing us to the clean and perfect son, Jesus. Jesus who died in your place. God poured out all his wrath on him so we could pour out all his love on you. God's covenant means, yes, that he's not forgotten you, but that he does forget and forgive your sin. Psalm 103.12 says, as far as the east is from the west, That's how far God removes our transgressions or our sin from us. God doesn't hold your sin against you. He can't hold what he already nailed to the cross. God's covenant means that you are never forgotten, but it always means you're always forgiven. And I love what what this passage is saying to Noah and everyone after Noah, I'll never again curse you. If you're forgiven in the cross, I'll never ever destroy you. I'll never be against you. I'll always be for you. I'll forgive you and love you and pursue you. And that's what we see how beautiful in here. Noah builds this ark and some sacrifice of blood has to happen to help atone. And that points us to Jesus. And then God is saying almost through this passage to Jesus that you're loved and you're forgiven. And you're gonna know in weeks to come that Noah needs this moment because Noah has the first NASCAR scene. He gets totally hammered and drunk and then he ends up naked in a tent, which that's where NASCAR started. Sorry if that's a terrible dad joke and also it made for NASCAR fan offended you. But like Noah needs that moment of 
great forgiveness. Like the ark was such a hard thing for him that we learned that he like plants a vineyard. This is how stressed he was. Noah gets off the ark. He does his sacrifice and then he plants a vineyard because he needs alcohol. I kid you not, he needs alcohol. Then he gets drunk, ends up naked in a tent because all this situation was just so much for him. He needed this moment of forgiveness. Hearing God say this sacrifice was pleasing. I'll never again curse humanity. My love will always be with you. And Christian, you need to hear that today. You need to hear that because God covenants with you, that you're always forgiven, that your like apology or prayer or you're cleaning yourself up, like that doesn't make you right before God. That doesn't clean your guilt. What cleans your guilt is that Christ literally took your sin in your place. That's what makes you right before him. So guys, don't let your feeling dictate what's fact. Take your sin, bring it to Christ, ask for forgiveness and trust First John 1, 9, that if you confess your sin, God is faithful and just to forgive your sin. Guys, if you're in that guilt and shame cycle and you're habitually maybe looking at pornography or stealing or lying or uh, on constant uh, alcohol bends where you're drinking way more than you know that you should and you're getting drunk with a friend or at a bar, or community group, whatever that looks like in your life. If that's what's happening in your life, would you take a step away from that? And see that true life and true joy is found literally by walking in Christ and his ways. And we're going to see that living in alcohol or sin like Noah to deal with stress is not going to be helpful for him or his family. Same thing for us. So guys, would you turn away from the guilt and shame cycles and see at the cross through the altar that Noah built, see what God did, smelled the aroma of Christ and it was pleasing. Guys, God looks at you today pleased, not because of who you are and what you've done, but because of what Christ has done. So if you feel looking at you like this, the text is telling us that he's pleased with what Christ has done. And what God said to Jesus that day when he was baptized, he said, this is my beloved son and who am I well pleased? That's how God looks at you. You're my beloved son, my beloved daughter in whom he's well pleased because of the altar of the cross. So the covenant just today means those two things. Guys, you are never forgotten. Would you log that some way? Write out your prayers, write out your struggles, keep some notes of it, put dates next to it and track it. You are never forgotten. But listen, you are always forgiven, always forgiven. Every shortcoming, every issue, you are loved and forgiven. And as Christians, we are called to extend and share that forgiveness to the entire world. Tell them about the altar that was built on the cross so they could be loved and forgiven in Christ forever. Guys, that's part two. And then next week, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, the sign of the covenant with the rainbow and what that represents and uh, the challenges we may see in culture as we navigate covenant and all those types of things. But let me take a moment to pray for us and then we will continue in worship. 